0: volume three chapter eleven of that unfortunate marriage this librivox recording is in the public domain that unfortunate marriage by francis eleanor trollope volume three chapter eleven with that indescribably dreadful rushing whirling sensation in the brain which can never be forgotten by whoever has once experienced it may cheffington recovered out of her swoon and her senses returned to her she was lying on a cushioned seat in the ladies waiting-room at wendhurst junction her dress had been loosened, her own warm cloak had been spread over her as a coverlet, a woollen shawl was thrown across her feet, and an elderly woman was sprinkling water on her forehead. She opened her eyes and then shut them again lazily. The glare of the gas made her blink, and the sense of rest was, for the moment, all she wanted. "'She'll do now,' said the elderly woman, wiping May's wet forehead with a handkerchief. Then she went to the door of the room, and, half opening it, said to someone outside, coming round beautiful sir she'll be all right now who's there asked may in a little feeble drowsy voice your pa dear he has been in a taking about you but i'm telling him you're as right as right can be so you are ain't you they is a pretty every second that passed was bringing more clearness to may's mind more animation to her frame by the time the elderly woman had finished speaking may said oh ask him to come in ask him pray to come here and speak to me this message being transmitted the door was opened and in walked mr bragg with a most disturbed and anxious countenance may was lying with her head supported on a pillow formed of a great coat hastily rolled up which the attendant had covered with her own white apron the pretty soft brown hair dabbled here and there with water was hanging in disorder her eyes looked very large and bright in her pale face mr bragg came and stood beside her and looked at her with a sort of tender pitying trepidation as an amiable giant might contemplate ariel with a broken wing longing to help but fearing to hurt the delicate creature may put out her hand and took hold of mr bragg's as innocently as little enid might have done oh i'm so sorry she said yes returned mr bragg in a subdued voice and i'm so sorry too but you are feeling better now ain't you oh but i mean i'm sorry for you sorry to frighten you and to give you so much trouble trouble well i don't know about that "'This good lady here has been taking what trouble there was to take. "'Not such a vast deal, was it, ma'am?' "'The good lady, who had begun to doubt the correctness of her assumption "'that these two were father and daughter, "'smoothed the shawl over May's feet and murmured that they were not to mention it. "'Mr. Bragg pulled out his watch impatiently. "'What? Haven't they found anybody yet?' he said. "'I sent off a man in a fly ten minutes ago.' THE ATTENDANT OBSERVED APOLOGETICALLY THAT THE FIRST DOCTOR THEY'D GONE TO MIGHT NOT HAVE BEEN AT HOME, AND THEN THEY'D HAVE TO GO ON A GOODISH BIT FURTHER. MAY STARTED UP ON HER ELBOW. DOCTOR, SHE CRIED IN DISMAY, YOU HAVEN'T SENT FOR A DOCTOR. YES, I HAVE, ANSWERED MR. BRAGG, DISMAYED IN HIS TURN BY HER EVIDENT DISTRESS. I COULDN'T DO LESS. YOU MIGHT HAVE BEEN DYING FOR ANYTHING I KNEW. YOU DON'T KNOW HOW BAD YOU LOOKED. BUT I DON'T WANT A DOCTOR. I'M QUITE WELL. I ONLY WANT TO GO ON. I WANT TO GO ON TO GRANNY and may's head fell back on the pillow while a tear forced its way beneath the closed eyelids you came by the slow down didn't you oh well there's no passenger train going on that way before eleven five to-night observed the elderly female at this intelligence the tears poured down may's cheeks and she turned away her head on the cushion don't cry don't fret exclaimed mr bragg you shall be in old chester within an hour if the medical man says you're able to travel i'll speak to the station-master at once only we must hear what the doctor says mustn't we i dursn't run a risk now durst i you see that yourself you're what you might call laid on my conscience to take care of good lord will this fool of a fellow never come back i told him to drive as fast as he could pelt may was crying now less from vexation than from exhaustion "'I'm not ill, indeed,' she murmured, trying to check her tears. "'But, my dear young lady, people don't faint dead away like that and look so white and ghastly. "'Without there's something the matter. "'It wasn't the news I told you upset you like that, surely. "'No, of course not. "'I think it was because I I had had no dinner.' "'Lord bless me!' cried Mr. Bragg. "'Why, you're starving. "'That's what it is, then.' in his anxious solicitude for her mr bragg would have ordered anything eatable to be brought which the refreshment-room afforded but he yielded to may's entreaty that she might have a cup of tea and a piece of bread the attendant suggested a teaspoonful of brandy in the tea but at this may shook her head mr bragg however thought the suggestion a good one and producing a small flask from his travelling-bag insisted on pouring a few drops of its contents into the cup of tea that's fine old cognac he said like a cordial i wouldn't ask you to swallow the stuff they sell here but this'll do you nothing but good dear me if i'd only thought of giving you some of this before he was quite self-reproachful and may had some difficulty in persuading him that no blame could possibly attach to him for not having administered a dose of brandy to her as soon as they met in the railway carriage by this time the doctor sent for from Wendhurst had arrived. A brief interview with his patient convinced him that she was perfectly well able to travel on as far as Old Chester. "'Rather delicate, nervous organisation, you see,' said the doctor to Mr. Bragg when he left May. "'And there has been some mental distress, family trouble, she tells me, "'and the long fast and the journey quite sufficient to account. "'Oh, thanks, thanks. She'll be all right after a good night's rest. I haven't the least doubt.' and the doctor withdrew with a bow, for Mr. Bragg, apologizing for having disturbed him and brought him so far through the rain, had put a handsome fee into his hand. Mr. Bragg had also mentioned, in the hearing of the waiting-room attendant, who was hovering inquisitively in the background, that the young lady had been put under his charge, and that he had just left the house of her great-uncle, Lord Castlecombe. He was aware that he himself was far too well-known a man in these parts for the adventure not to be talked about, and his experience of life had taught him that, while it is as difficult to check gossip as to bring a runaway horse to a standstill yet that both may generally be turned to the right or left by a cool hand his sagacity was amply justified for the waiting-room attendant for weeks afterwards would narrate to passing lady travellers how that sweet young how that sweet young lady lord castlecombe's grandniece was so cut up by the death of her cousin that she fainted right away coming back from the funeral at combe park not having been able to touch food for more than twelve hours in consequence of her grief and how mr bragg the great oldchester manufacturer who was taking charge of the young lady on her journey home was so kind and anxious and quite like a father to her and how they both repeatedly had said mrs top if it hadn't been for your care and attention we don't know whatever we should have done soon after the old doctor had departed mr bragg came back to may and informed her that arrangements had been made for their starting for Oldchester in three-quarters of an hour if that would be agreeable to her and in reply to her wondering inquiry as to how that could have been managed he said quietly oh i've got a special train i'm a director of this line and they know me here pretty well may had always understood that a special train was an immensely costly matter but in her ignorance she was by no means sure that it might not be part of the privileges of a railway director to have special trains run for his service gratis whensoever he should require them which probably was precisely what mr bragg desired her to suppose he then called aside the attendant and held a short colloquy with her in the adjoining room the result of which was to put the worthy mrs tup into a great fuss and flutter she dashed at a cupboard in the wall and plunged her hand into it drawing it out again with a battered old black bonnet dangling by one string as though she had been fishing at a venture and brought up that rather unexpectedly further mrs tup with many apologies took the checked shawl which had been laid over may's feet and put it on her own shoulders and then assuring mr bragg in a speech which it took some time to deliver that she wouldn't be gone not ten minutes for her house was close by better than half a mile before you really come into Wendhurst high street going the shortest way from the station she finally disappeared now miss cheffington said mr bragg i want you to do something to oblige me will you most gladly if i can but i'm afraid it will turn out to be something to oblige me answered may looking up at him timidly don't you want some food i dare say you do why no miss cheffington i can't say i do i ate a most uncommon hearty luncheon i wonder why people always eat so much when there's a funeral going on besides it isn't dinner-time yet you know isn't it i've no idea what o'clock it is if you told me it was the middle of next week i don't think i should feel surprised and she smiled with one of her old bright looks that's right said mr bragg you're picking up well now i was going to say that i noticed in the refreshment room a cold roast fowl which didn't look at all nasty no not really at all nasty insisted mr bragg with the air of one who is aware that his statement may not unreasonably be received with incredulity and if you let them bring it in here on a tray and try to eat a bit of it and drink another cup of tea no i promise not to put any brandy in it i shall esteem it a favour of course there was no refusing this but may said wistfully i was going to ask you would you mind i have something to say to you and if i don't say it soon that woman will be here she's coming back immediately why as to that miss cheffington i don't think she is from what i can make out she's the kind of person that never can realize to themselves that fifteen minutes one after the other end to end make up a quarter of an hour she lost a lot of time here talking and i saw her stop to tell the young woman at the bar over yonder what a hurry she was in no i make no doubt but what she'll be back before we start but not just yet awhile the roast chicken and some freshly made tea were brought in due course and mr bragg had the satisfaction of seeing may partake of both then he professed his readiness to hear what she wished to say are you comfortable like not too much for you there now provided you don't overtire yourself nor yet what you might call overtry yourself i'm listening he sat down in a chair nearly opposite to the fire "'so that his profile was turned to May "'and looked thoughtfully into the hot coals, "'folding his arms in an attitude of massive quietude "'which was characteristic of him. First of all, you must let me thank you "'for all your kindness,' said May. "'No, don't do that,' he answered, "'without removing his gaze from the fire. "'Then he repeated musingly, "'No, no, don't do that. Don't ye do that.' "'Then ensued a pause. "'It lasted so long that Mr. Bragg, "'glancing round at the girls, said, "'That wasn't all you had in your mind to say, was it?' no mr bragg perhaps you've changed your mind about speaking Well, don't you worry it yourself you just do what you feel most agreeable to yourself you know but i want to speak i was so anxious to tell you this chance which i could never have expected or dreamt of gives me the opportunity and now now i don't know how to begin he was silent for a moment pondering could i help you i wonder if it's about a certain conversation you and me had together a few days back yes partly well now you remember on that occasion i said to you that i hoped we might be friends you and me real true friends you remember don't you gratefully well i meant what i said if you have been he was about to say persecuted but changed the word if you have been in any way bothered in consequence of that conversation i am truly sorry for it but don't let it make any difference as between you and me your aunt mrs dormer smith she's a most well-meaning lady and has beautiful manners but she's liable to make mistakes like the rest of us and don't you fret you know you're going to your grandmother mrs dobbs you tell me and she's a woman of wonderful good sense she'll understand some things better than what your aunt can it'll be all right don't you worry yourself he spoke in a gentle soothing tone such as one might use to a child and kept nodding his head slowly as he spoke still with his eyes fixed on the fire. "'It isn't that. I mean, I wanted to tell you something.' He turned his head now quickly and looked at her. Her eyes were cast down, and she was plucking nervously at the fur lining of the cloak which lay on the seat beside her. "'Is it something about that confidence you made me, and that I look upon as an honor, and always shall?' well now if you're going to speak about that i shall take it as a sign that you really mean to be friends with me and trust me and there's nothing in the world would make me so proud as that you should trust me full and free then she told him all the story of her engagement to owen how it had been kept secret for three months by her grandmother's express stipulation how when owen returned to england they had revealed it to mrs dormer smith how that lady had disapproved and forbidden owen the house and had written to captain cheffington requesting him to interpose his parental authority how finally may had felt so miserable and lonely that she had made up her mind to leave her aunt's house and take refuge with her grandmother mr bragg sat like a rock while she told her story hesitatingly and shyly at first but gathering courage as she went on when she first mentioned owen's name his brows contracted for a moment in a way which might mean anger or perplexity or simply surprise "'but he remained otherwise quite unmoved to all appearance "'and perfectly silent. "'When May had finished her little story, she said timidly, "'as she had said to him on that memorable day in her aunt's house, "'You were not angry, Mr. Bragg.' "'He answered nearly as he had answered then, "'but without looking at her and keeping his gaze on the fire. "'Angry, my child? No, how could I be angry with you? "'You have never deceived me. "'You have been true and honest from first to last. "'But I mean, you are not you're not angry with owen the answer did not come quite so promptly this time but after a few seconds he said i don't know that i've the least right to be angry with mr rivers only i should have liked it better if he had told me how things were plain and straightforward when we were talking about something else he brought his speech to an abrupt conclusion upon this may assured him that owen had never desired secrecy the engagement had been kept secret in deference to granny and as soon as her aunt knew it owen had urged her may to tell mr bragg also feeling himself in a false position until the truth was revealed i ought to have written to you yesterday she said guiltily it's my fault indeed it is mr bragg got up from his chair and muttering something about getting a little air walked out on to the long platform there was certainly no lack of air outside there a damp raw wind was driving through the station making the lamps blink Mr. Bragg had no great coat; that garment having been rolled up to serve as May's pillow, but he marched up and down the long platform with his hands behind his back, at a steady and by no means rapid pace, apparently insensible to the cold. Owen Rivers. So the man May was engaged to was his secretary, Mr. Rivers. That was very surprising. Mr. Rivers was not at all the sort of man he should have expected that exquisite young creature to care about. But Mr. Bragg would have been puzzled to describe the sort of man he would have expected her to care about. He had never seen any man he thought worthy of her, and it might safely be predicted that he never would, seeing that Mr. Bragg was in love with May, and would certainly never be in love with May's husband, let him be the finest fellow in the world. One suspicion he at once dismissed from his mind, that Owen had ever been in the least danger from Mrs. Bransby's fascinations. No, when a man was betrothed to a girl like May Checkington, he was safe enough from anything of that kind, argued Mr. Bragg indeed his visit to the widow's house had given him a favourable impression of all its inmates it was impossible he thought to be in mrs bransby's presence without perceiving her to be worthy of respect searching his memory he discovered that the first hint of her having any designs on young rivers had come from theodore bransby and now the motive of the hint began to dawn upon him theodore as he had long ago perceived hated rivers mr bragg now understood why he paced up and down the draughty platform solitary and meditative for full ten minutes it was a dead time, and the whole station seemed nearly deserted. Then he returned to the waiting-room, of which May was still the sole occupant. He stirred the fire into a blaze, and then sat down opposite to it as before. May looked at him nervously and anxiously. She did not venture to speak first. I'll tell you one thing, Miss Cheffington, said Mr. Bragg all at once. What you told me has been a relief to my mind in one way. She looked up inquiringly. Yes, it has been a relief to my mind, and I'm bound to acknowledge it. "'I was afraid at one time—indeed, I had almost made up my mind, though terribly against the grain, that you was engaged to someone else.' "'Someone else!' exclaimed May, opening great eyes of wonder, and speaking in a tone which conveyed her naive persuasion that, in that sense, there did not exist anyone else. "'Why, whom can you mean?' Mr. Bragg reflected an instant. Then he said, "'I'll tell you, yes, I'll tell you, for he's tried to thrust it in people's faces as far as he dared. Mr. Theodore Bransby.' may fell back on her seat with a gesture of mute astonishment ah oh, yes you're wondering how i could be such a blockhead as to think that possible but if it had been true you'd have wondered how i could be such a blockhead as to think anything else possible said mr bragg it was the sole touch of bitterness which escaped him throughout the interview after a brief pause he went on not you understand that i mean to deny mr rivers is far superior to young bransby out of all comparisons superior to him i may perhaps consider mr Rivers fortunate beyond his merits that's a question we won't enter into because you and me can't help but look at it from different points of view but i must bear testimony that he's always behaved like a real gentleman in his duties with me and so far as i know he's thoroughly upright and honourable may considered this to be but faint praise but she graciously made allowances granny however knew better when mr bragg's words were repeated to granny she exclaimed well done joshua bragg that was spoken like a generous-minded man by this time the engine which was to draw them to old chester was in readiness mr bragg inquired impatiently for the good lady of the waiting-room and then may learned that that person was to accompany them on the journey lest miss cheffington should need any attendance on the way and indeed said mrs Tupp afterwards if the young lady had been a princess royal there couldn't have been more fuss made over her sloom carriage and everything of course it was an effort for me to go along with him at such short notice and so entirely unexpected but as they said to me mrs tup they said had it not have been for your kindness and attention we don't know what we should have done and the gentleman certainly made it worth my while as he certainly did at the present moment however mrs tup was by no means in a complacent frame of mind she was seen hurriedly approaching from the extremity of the station very breathless and exhausted attired in her sunday bonnet and shawl to match confronting mr bragg who stood sternly watch in hand at the door of the carriage i told you so miss cheffington said he to may who was already made luxuriously comfortable within the carriage now marm don't no, don't trouble yourself to explain please because in exactly two seconds and a half we're off would you be so kind this to a guard who stood looking on beside the station-master in a moment they had taken Mrs. Tup between them, and, assisted from behind by a youthful porter, managed to hoist her into the carriage by main force. Mr. Bragg took his place opposite to May. The whistle sounded, and they glided from beneath the roof of the station, and at an increasing speed across the dark country, through the streaming rain. End of chapter 11